Hey, what's up? This is Len, a.k.a. The Bad Triple, right here. Um, welcome to this edition of the Michelle Mission. Just want to let you know that we experienced a very weird audio difficulty with uh, this recording. So it is not the greatest uh, audio quality. Hope you can bear with it. I think you will still be able to enjoy this episode of the Michelle Mission. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next stop on the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by... Uh, this is Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, Wednesdays, 8 to 10 on G-Town Radio. Tonight, we are taking a trip back to Vincent's favorite era of all time. True indeed. The 1970s. We are, in some respects, going to the beginning of the black exploitation movie era, some would say, with Godfrey Cambridge, Raymond St. Jock, and introducing Calvin Lockhart in Cotton Comes to Harlem. I cannot wait. Um, but before we get into that, we do have some feedback from some of our past shows that we need to uh, go through. All right. All right. All right. So we are going to go back, um, going back in time to our episode of two weeks ago when we reviewed Pearly Victorious. Pearly Victorious. Another, our first Ozzy Davis film. Very true. Uh, and, and unbeknownst to, I think, both of us. Uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem was directed by exactly. Ozzy Davis. Yeah, and script was co-written. Yeah. So, so true. yeah, it's, it's an Ozzy Davis hoo-ha, I believe is the technical term. Um, during, during Pearly Victorious, uh, we, we got into a conversation about a lot of the television that's going down. I think that was the episode where we kind of introduced the idea of our new monthly show which yes. will be coming in December yes the binge lounge yes which will tape during some of our free time yes <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That, that, that those wee 15 minutes of free time is when we're going to sneak in an hour yes. of the binge lounge uh once a month that's going to be starting in December where we're going to kind of like go through television talk to talk about some of the television um, the renaissance of tele- black television that's been happening in, in recent months, as well as talk about some of our favorite and TV oddities, for lack of a better word, from years gone by. Sidebar, before you get into that, you saw HBO Go snuck in the first episode of Insecure. I don't know if you yeah, saw did, did, did you get a chance to watch it? I didn't it? get a chance to watch it, but I saw that it's... So I've I've heard I just everything is just so good. Jamie Broadnax of uh, Black Girl Nerds uh, was uh, yeah. hyping it up big time. It's real good. Yeah, I'm looking it's, forward it's to it. It's real good. So go but ahead. It's one of those series. Sure, it, I got that in there. It's one of those series. A lot like Atlanta. Like I watched the first episode of Atlanta. Right. And now I'm okay. I want to let it build. Okay. And I because I, I want to sit. And just like power through like two or three episodes. Yeah. So yeah. I know I'm going to want to do that with Insecure. Okay. Um, and with a lot of these shows. Thus, 
uh, I will let the binging begin. Right, right, right. Um, but we received a comment in regards to our conversation um, from the Dope Science Show podcast. Okay. Um, they had mentioned uh, that in their estimation, the get down is a masterpiece and they are gushing, oh, okay. talking all about it. Okay. All right. And I really appreciate it. That was that was really dope for, of them to say. Yeah. Yeah. Be, because it has gotten mixed reviews. Yeah. I mean, it has. we will talk about how we feel about it, but but mm-hmm. it, it's nice to hear someone just sort of unabashedly support it. Yeah, it really does. So um, then uh, on our episode of top five, yes, um, we received. Quite a number of comments. I'm sure. I'm yes. sure. It's, uh, it's, it's my favorite argument. Many of them. It, it appears that, you know, there's a lot of people that enjoy our show. Okay. And maybe no one enjoys Which our show. Nice. Very true. <laughs> maybe no one enjoys our show as much as Robert, Robert Monroe. Robert Monroe. Yes, yes. However, if he has competition. Okay. It would be one Randy Green, a.k.a. Arson, the voice of reason. Arson, the voice the of super reason. The super trouble. Yes, yes. Black yeah. Trouble's fame. Yes. Who loves to listen to our show and leave comments in a running commentary. Right, right, right. Of, in real time. Of what is going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, So allow me to... Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> if you can put the uh, the show, uh, Michelle Mission... Uh, Episode, what episode was that? I'm not even sure what it is. And it's probably episode 35. What you're about to say that that Randy is actually an MC. He is very much an MC um, with the hip hop bluegrass band uh, Gangster Grass. Um, So so put that episode, episode 35 of the Michelle Mission, our review of Rosario Dawson and Chris Rock in top five, into your head. Okay. And listen to it. As I read Randy's commentary. Okay. Trading places is pure genius. So is coming to America. Yes. Isn't Nia Long in Friday? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's in regards to me saying that, you know, Friday is like. Yes, yes. So obviously, I think that's what that's about. Black Thought, KRS-One, Pharaoh Monk, J-Live. Pasta news. It's a good list. Paz, I knew I liked you for a reason, Vince. True, true. What about Trump voters? No, that I'm is. not sure what that's sure what that's <laughs> Guess you had to be. Not there. sure what that's okay. about. All right. Um, Trucky. Yes. What's that about? That's JB Smooth. That was his character oh, name in um, okay. in oh. Tank. Right, right, right. Um, Len, would you feel the same way if it wasn't Rosario? Chances are no. Yes, probably not. Not sure what you're talking about, but right, chances. Right, right, right. Um, Pootie Tang is pure genius. Yes. Okay. Have you done Bowfinger yet? We have not. No, we have not. Did you just use verb twice, Negro? Uh, no, I didn't use verb twice. I used it once. Okay. All right. I only used it once. And, and and upon listening back, I used it correctly, so back up. Mr. Rapper. Okay. Uh, Can Spike Lee be trusted with his own stuff? Come on. Yes. That's valid. That's valid. Hawk in space. (laughs) It holds up. You look at those, look at the last three seasons. He's just Hawk in space. 
Like he gets morally ambiguous and sort of does what he needs to do. And he has the um the the, the superpower of bad. You know, I actually went to a FCC meeting last night and they said that we can use the word ass. Like FCC, but you know, there's FCC rules and then it's Michelle Mission rules, and you know, we'll err on the side of but for the record is an FCC admissible term. It is. For the record. I just wanted to have that on record. I mean, we won't use it anymore, but anyway. <laughs> We're not going to use it anymore yes. outside of this litany. Yes, yes. You, you I, I, I use it twice. Uh, how is two a litany? Anyway, yes. Hawking space. That holds up. I stand by that read of Deep Space Nine. His last commentary is, I'm doing CB4 with y'all. Okay. Feel free. Absolutely. We also heard during that diatribe from Mo2K, who wants to know what is our top five films. Oh, Mo2K, that's a whole deal. Yeah, that that, that really is. That really is. Um, I mean, Do the Right Thing is my number one. I'll, I'll just, you want to do number one? Do the Right Thing is your number one? I think Do the Right Thing is the finest American film ever made. It's pretty good. Full stop. It's pretty good. That's your number one. My number one is The Godfather 2. Okay. That's my favorite right. movie. We Speaking of Do the Right Thing, you want to do Bill Nunn now or you want to finish the mail? Um, we can. That's a perfect good segue into um, Bill Nunn. We can come back to the mail real quick uh, in, in a little bit. Bill Nunn, who passed away this past week. Yes, he week. did. Very sad. Very sad. Very sad. Um, he was Radio Raheem. He was Radio Raheem. He was. And, and you, you know, I think part of what makes Do the Right Thing so powerful, and, and I've heard, you know, Spike Lee talk about this. I've heard Roger Ebert talk about this. I've heard a lot of people say that one of the great sort of trickster moves that Spike Lee makes mm-hmm. is that he forces viewers to kind of make these judgments. And you can tell a lot about a person about whether or not they're more upset about Saul's pizzeria burning down mm. than they are about Radio Raheem dying. And, and that is a testament to, to just the sheer humanity yeah. that Bill Nunn brings to the role. I have to say that, although I would grant that that's probably his best role, my personal favorite role is, is um, Dap's roommate in School Days. Oh, really? He was Grady. Right, he was Grady, and, and there, there's a moment that I used to have memorized where he's dancing with the girl at the party, mm-hmm. and he said, first time I ever saw you, you know what I thought about? Collard greens and cornbread. I ain't even gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was so charming in school days, but yeah, that's that's a real loss. You know, rest in peace, Bill Nunn. Yeah, he did a lot of work with, um, you know, Spike Lee, um, starting with school days and then do the right thing. Um, he's also in He Got Game. Yeah. He was um, in More Better Blues. Yeah, More, Be- More Better Blues. Um, he was in a lot. He, he actually did a lot of work. I mean, I'm just running down his, looking at his biography now. Uh, he the Dutta Man in mm-hmm. um, New Jack City. Yep. Um, he was in uh, Cadillac Man um, regarding Henry's sister act, uh, The Last Seduction. Uh, uh, Things to do in Denver when you're dead, which is a very underrated movie. Um, Money Train. 
Oh, he was in Money Train. Yeah, I I forgot all about that as well. Um, and as well as White Men Can't Jump, black film. I wouldn't call it a black film. Oh, I would. So we're doing it. Uh, then, then we'll argue. We'll debate that. Okay. Then, um, but yeah, rest in peace, um, yeah. Bill Nunn. Absolutely. Uh, a, a tragic loss. The bloodlust of 2016 is still not satiated. <laughs> we lost Kashif this week too. We just lost Kashif, I think, today as we're taping this. Really? Yeah. Did we? Oh, 2016 is, I think, one of the old gods. I have to be honest. I was not aware that Kashif was still alive. Yeah, he was only 56. Well, yeah, I didn't think he died. One of the great age. '80s producers. Like in a lot of ways, it's damning with faint praise if you didn't like '80s R&B, which I think there's a very strong case to be made that '80s R&B is the reason that hip hop became hip hop. Mm-hmm. But you know, credit where credit is due. I've got to look up his discography of, of yeah. I mean, like. I don't like to see anybody, you know, no, no, no. away. But like, he's one he... of those dudes. You'd be surprised how much he. I, I'm really not trying to take us off course. I know, you know, I'm trying to keep it, but but, but, but well done. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Just lost Kashi. Oh wow, that, I, that's that's a name that I, I'm I'm will be curious to see how many in our um, in our circle of, of our listeners. Uh, are really that familiar with Kashif. Um, but I guess, you know, yeah, that, that, that is a shame. He producer did. people will know. People, people who follow producers will know. But go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. All right. I mean, you don't want to challenge Kashif. All I said was the brother passing. You back. Like, I was bringing up Bobby, the guy who sells watermelons during the summer down at the Super Fresh. See, this is the, I'm looking through his stuff, and like the one thing I know from Kashif is that he, I know he did stuff with Evelyn Champagne King. Yes, back in the uh, the early '80s, and like I in the early '80s, for some for whatever reason, I think it's because I saw her on on Soul Train and just thought she was like really, really, really cool. I have a like a, a soft spot for Evelyn Champagne King. Okay. So I knew that he did work with her, and he produced uh, "I'm in Love" for, with Evelyn Champagne King. I, yeah. So I knew he did some stuff with that. Other than that, I knew his name was around. Yeah. But, yeah. Fair amount of stuff. You get a chance. All right. Yeah. You know, nothing to do with movies, though. <laughs> Very true. Nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with movies. So we'll leave that. We'll leave okay. that. Well, you know, we'll let we'll let uh, the mayor triple Dan Dinkins yes, talk yes, about yes, that on his yes, podcast. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, uh, Kashif, as well as Bill. Nunn. As well as Bill. Nunn. Okay, uh, back to our our mail because we actually we actually on the Black Tribbles podcast network we invite people to leave comments on iTunes. Okay, about um, the show and and. Um, you know, give give a rating because the more ratings we get, that helps a higher you know raise the profile. And no one, you know, uh, someone left a comment on the Black Tribbles podcast. Uh, Dark Spiral Dance. Okay. Said this collection of different shows gives a wonderful, unapologetic glimpse into the lives and passions of people of color with geeky, nerdy pursuits. That's that's us now. About the Black Tribbles podcast network, he says, or, or or they say, 
it's worth hearing for the Michelle mission alone. Oh. But each show has its own charms. Okay. Now, I could continue, but I just feel we can just stop right there. <laughs> I mean, I would stop right there. <laughs> That's where I would stop. I, you know. and, just, and just marinate in that. And indeed. That indeed. we make the Black Triples Podcast Network look good. Well, well. It's a good-looking group of people, so I'm I'm just glad to as 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 the old people say, I'm just glad to be in the number. <laughs> very true, very true. So that was a nice compliment. Yes. I, I really appreciate that. That was very nice. Uh, and then we got we got a piece of email. Um, last but not least, we got an email written directly to us by Maurice Poplar. Hey, Maurice. Um, he said it was a great review of Top Five Guys. Okay, thank you. The Mocking of the faux film uprise. <laughs> I think is I think this is what people quote unquote are seeing of his trying to do a historical film. I think it's a little too meta. I took it that he made a movie that was serious to him, but the world didn't get it. The key is the comparison of it to Tyler Perry, the story of Toussaint Lavotour is not very accessible or digestible compared to Tyler Perry, which is very candy-coated and easy to digest. If Nate Parker hadn't spent his own money, Birth of a Nation would not have been made. But as you both state, the main tonal shifts make this to feel odd. I agree with Vince. If you squint, you can really see a great movie here. I give it extra points for trying to do something interesting. He swung for defenses, but got a triple out of it. Okay. All right. And then he asked again, what are our top five films? Well, I have my top five. I don't know if I have my top five films, like just films across the board, like off the, like off the top of my head, like off the, just talking, do the right thing. Um, Blade Runner, uh, Probably Eve's by you. Maybe Touch of Evil. Hmm. Touch of Evil. Um Digging in the crates. Well, I'm talking I'm I'm thinking about things that that I, I, I can like, you know, just sort of comparing it to like my favorite albums. Cause see a movie is is different than an MC. True. Like a movie is a you know, like this is like I think of a feast. Mm-hmm. Like like sort of a, a feast that, that kind of keeps feeding me. Mm-hmm. So 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 what did I say? It's like like I'm thinking about a film I can like I go back to again yeah. and again and you know and, and you know just frankly films that I've actually taught and like each time I teach them I come away with with something a fresh, a fresh perspective a fresh perspective and then you know like like I think a film that you can sit in a room with you know a, a group of of twenty year olds mm-hmm. and they give you something new back. Mm-hmm. Is something that it says something about that film. I don't know what my fifth one would be to plug in from my top five. Like, like, like again, something that I that that sustains me, mm-hmm. you, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but certainly those four. <sighs> I can't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Well, mine is The Godfather 2. Okay. The Godfather. Okay. In that order. Oh, no, I mean, absolutely. Um, 
uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Okay. It used to be, for a long time, it used to be Braveheart. And Braveheart is still one of my favorite movies. Okay. But it has been um, surpassed. It's like, just like, truly just fully visceral feeling for a film that I that I enjoy and that I could sit down and I sit, I watch, I enjoy it, I love it, but like, uh, it, it's giving me what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, Friday. Okay. Because I love me some Friday. Yes, yes. Yes, Lord. And Uptown Saturday Night. Oh, okay. All right. All right. That's my top well, five. Well, there you go. Top five movies. That's I guess I should have sort of been prepared for that. You should have been. I should have been. Now you're suspect. I'm, I'm a little suspect. Yeah. It's about time somebody else is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think that about does it for our feedback. Okay. As usual, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You, you know, this is my favorite. Like, you know, I think we, we, you see the feedback section gets longer and longer. I think we enjoy the dialogue. Yes. Oh, I do have one other thing um, that I did want to talk about real quick. Uh, that I wanted to show you this, Vince. Okay. And let the, the people know um, and remind them that on uh, Friday, October 28th, oh, the Michelle Mission so, will be doing their first live event, a live recording of our show. Um, in, con- uh, in partnership, we're going to let the... the the crew from Don't Touch My Coffin mm-hmm. uh, podcast come and do a review. Gimme, gimme, gimme. There it is. Of Abby, there the Black is. Exorcist, with us at Amalgam Comics and Coffee House in Philadelphia, 2578 Frankfurt Avenue. The event is free. So please, we invite you all, if you're in the Philadelphia area, to come join us October 28th. Come down for a free uh, recording of the show mission as we review Abby, the Black Exorcist, and then screen it for all to behold in its glorious, horrible um, glory on a huge screen. Yep, yep. I have it in my hand, folks. I'm looking at it right now. It yeah, and it, it's it's even it's yes. it's it's scary to look at. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. All right. I am really I am really looking for, forward to the, to that um, October 28th at Amalgam Comics and Coffee House, the Michelle Mission, our very first live show. Our very first live show. It's going to be really dope. It is. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be a good time. All right. It's time for us to get into our review of Cotton Comes to Harlem. All right. Introducing two cops only a mother could love. Meet Coffin Ed Johnson and Gravedigger Jones, two of New York's finest. Two cops who take charge when an $87,000 bale of cotton comes to Harlem. Tell me something, will you? What's a bale of cotton doing in Harlem? A bale of cotton? No, what would a bale of cotton be doing in Harlem? Down south, cotton comes to Harlem. It's cops and robbers with a shade of difference. See any cotton around here lately? A bale of cotton, sure. Where is it now? 
you turn Japanese. Oh, wait, come on, you know the position. Come on. Damn it. Another fine mess you got us into. I got us into. Shut up and shoot. Godfrey Cambridge is Gravedigger Jones. Raymond St. Jock is Coffin Ed Johnson. Calvin Lockhart. Well, if it ain't King Kong and Frankenstein. Hey, what kind of talk is that, soul brother? Don't you know that black is beautiful? They put a personal touch on everything they handle. You have to play with that thing. I'm insecure, Captain. They're big, they're cool, they're beautiful. Where is that bale of cotton? There ain't no such thing as a bale of cotton in Harlem. Is that black enough for you? I finally found that bale of cotton. One thing for sure, it ain't drugstore cotton. This is genuine Mississippi cotton. Don't you know it? Coffin Ed Johnson and Gravedigger Jones, two cops only a mother could love. Okay, so Cotton Comes to Harlem from 1970. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is very much right at the beginning of the black exploitation movie era. This is a 1970 film that is an adaptation of a novel a crime novel by the same title by Chester Himes, who many people consider the Raymond Chandler of Mm -hmm. black fiction um, and and well-received for his series of books featuring the detectives Grave Digger Jones and Coffin Ed Johnson. This film, which came out in 1970, as we have uh, alluded to, was... Co-written and directed by Ossie Davis, starring um, Godfrey Cambridge, Raymond St. Jacques, Red Fox. Red Fox? Uh, not long before his um, star-making vehicle as Sanford and Son, in a role that, it's not hard to imagine, gave uh, inspiration towards yeah, Fred Yeah, Sanford. they said this is where they saw him and, and you know, said, let's cast him. Exactly. Um, uh, it also is a movie that features the the uh, motion picture debut of Judy Pace mm. as Iris, uh, as well as Cleavon Little as mm-hmm. Lowboy. That's right. Cleavon Little, most famously known uh, from Blazing Saddles by yes. Mel Brooks. And a man who... I think may be the one of the coolest gentlemen to ever walk this earth. It is one Calvin Lockhart. Am I black enough for you? <laughs> You're just a little bit too black, bro. <laughs> just a little bit too black. He's too much. Calvin Lockhart's too much. He, he just he is too. He's too much. He's it's too, too much. much. He's distracting. He he is. He's actually distracting. He, he is actually actually he is distracting in his look and how good looking the man is. He is distracting in how velvety smooth he is tonally, as well as in his charisma that just 
bleeds and pours out of his pores. He's ridiculous. And, and to <laughs> imagine that this is his screen day yeah. debut. Yeah, that's right. It is not unfair to us earthlings for this man to be that man. Yeah, yeah. Vince, Cotton comes to Harlem. Cotton comes to Harlem. Well, you know, we joke about it, or, or you know, y'all, you know, you sort of gently tease me about my affinity for the 70s. Mm-hmm. But Cotton Comes to Harlem is a perfect example of why I think when you talk about black film, you have to go to the 70s because this is just a period of time that is just chock full of just these vibrant kind of um, different types of movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as we've sort of mentioned, you, you know, in, in, a, in a way, when we talk about this period, of course, we, we start with Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Yeah. But this is the second film that we've done that predates Sweetback. I know. You know, Sweetback comes out in 71. This is 1970. As you said, based on uh, the novel by Chester Himes. Chester Himes, you know, if you, if you learned about him in school, you learned about um, If He Hollers, Let Him Go. Which right. is like his big sort of novel, but he paid his mortgage and his, his bills mm-hmm. by writing detective fiction. He moved to France, wrote detective fiction, um, and he had eight novels that featured these black policemen: um, uh, Gravedigger Jones and Coffin Ed. And this is one of three adaptations of his stories. There, there was this. A couple of years later, you had the sequel to this comeback. Charleston Blue, and then, um, you know, kind of randomly enough, in 1991, A Rage in Harlem is actually an adaptation of uh, um, Coffin Ed and Gravedigger Jones' story. And the plot, I mean, it's just this amazing plot. So, Calvin Lockhart plays uh, Deke O'Malley, and Deke O'Malley is a, a preacher slash black leader he's almost like this marcus garvey-esque figure and he has been going across the country collecting money mm-hmm. from people because he's going to like marcus garvey he's going to purchase a boat and the and black beauty the black beauty and people are going to move back to africa yes and as the film starts he is at a stop in harlem to collect money and sell these deeds and he, he's in a Rolls Royce, and Rolls Royce is followed by a gold truck that carries the money. Mm-hmm. And the gold truck is robbed. A gold armored A truck. gold armored truck is robbed, and there's $87,000 in the truck. And the entire film is about trying to get this money back. Yes. And in the midst of this, Coffin Jones and Grave Digger Jones, I mean, Coffin Ed and Grave Digger Jones are the, the black detectives. In Harlem, uh, neither of them, and particularly Gravedigger, believe in what Deke O'Malley is doing. They think he's a hustler and a shyster and a thief, and there are black militants. Well, you said particularly Gravedigger. Isn't Gravedigger... Um, I'm sorry, you're right. Coffin Ed. Coffin Ed. Coffin Ed is Raymond St. Jock. Coffin Ed is the great Raymond St. Jock. You, you know, the great Raymond St. Jock, and as you said, Gravedigger is played by your boy. Godfrey yeah, Cambridge. And yeah, so so Coffin Ed really doesn't like him. Yeah. And you know, there's 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 machinations with his organization, there's a subplot with with um 
with the show with the Apollo. Mm-hmm. They're 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 drug addicts. They're you, you know there's they're the two police the two detectives and their and their, their sort of relationship with the white policeman and it's just a lot that goes on in this thing and by the time it ends you almost need a scoreboard yeah to follow who has double crossed and triple crossed a, a scoreboard and maybe like a, one of those maps with like the pins like showing the string of this goes to here. Which means, Lynn, I have watched this movie conservatively ten times mm-hmm. in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Today, as I watched it, there was a detail about the double crossing and triple crossing that I never picked up before today. Really? Yeah. So, and, you know, we do spoilers. Sorry. So, 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 come to find it's a. Fifty-year-old. It's movie. a fifty-year-old movie. <laughs> so, at the at the presentation, there there's a there's a bank there's a barbecue. There's an outside barbecue and cookout. And as Deco Malley is on the stage, two FBI, I mean two um, yeah, two federal agents come to arrest him. Well, they say they say they're coming from the attorney general. The attorney general. They're going to arrest him and take him downtown. Right. And as right before they take him downtown. Some masked men come up and shoot up the cookout and steal the truck. Yes. And what you find out fairly early is that Deco Malley had actually hired men to impersonate the the attorney general's people. And what they were going to do is take Deco Malley and the truck and steal the money. Yes. But then you find out at the very end, and this is the detail that I missed, mm-hmm. that Deco Malley has also hired the white people. Who robbed the cookout and took the money from the people he had hired? Oh, you never! I never picked up that Deco Malley had hired everyone. Oh, wow, wow! So you know you have Deco Malley just sort of um, hiring all these people, and it really is like like I'm. I always feel a little um. I'm a little ambivalent about calling black people the black version of the white person. So, like, you know, as you said, they used to call Chester Himes the black Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. But there really is this noir element to it that yes. is sort of um, popularized by Chandler. Yes. And this sort of hard-boiled detective novel and these double crosses and these triple crosses. Because it really is this complexity to the plot mm-hmm. about, you know, who did what. Um you know, I have great affection for this film. I have mm-hmm. great affection to this film. I think one of the things that that comes out that I'm I, I don't I didn't really like, and I, this is a critique that other people have made. If you look at the source material and the way that I've described it, you know, there are guns, there are double crosses, there are triple crosses, there's violence. You would think this is a violent movie, but one of the decisions that Ozzie Davis makes is that the tone is slightly comedic. Yes. And this is something that actually, when they made the sequel a couple of years after this and come back, Charleston Blue, there was a falling out between Ozzie Davis and, I guess, the studio about the tone because they wanted it to be more hard-boiled, mm-hmm. much like the source material. Mm-hmm. And I agree with the studio and I agree with Chester Hobbs that this is a story that I think would have been stronger if it had been played completely straight. Okay. You know, just as a straight detective yeah. film, you, you know, kind yeah. of a heist film. And 
I think that kind of weakens it. Um, yeah. You, you know, there there's some parts in here that could could have used some editing, like that car chase that I mentioned at the beginning, I think goes on for approximately 45 minutes. Yeah. Where, where they're driving the car through um, through Harlem. And through Harlem, and they have to l- literally pass, like, almost, like, a setup on every block. Yeah. For somebody that they almost hit or almost get shot or something like that. And, you know, some kind of, like, funny little setup. And even though they're all separate and individual the the idea of it quickly grows stale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, those things aside, I think I think one of the aspects that translated really well from sort of the source material is this 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 sense of place. Mm-hmm. Like Harlem is an actual place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like there's a beautiful montage of storefronts and clubs, uh, you, you know, like I said, you've got black militants, you've got religious people, you've got artists, you've got drug addicts, you've got sort of black power people, you have, um, you know, again, sort of the intricacy of, of the politics of being in Harlem, you have a, a very small but very vital detail about uh, organized crime yes. and, and, and how it is actually organized mm-hmm. and what it means Oh, Raymond St. Jock is one of those actors, you, you know, appropriately enough, we were talking about Abby, and Abby has William Marshall in it, who who I love for this same reason, where he sort of almost elevates the material right. that he's in, like, he's such a good actor, mm-hmm. and that he kind of, you, you know, kind of, so I love, uh, I love Raymond St. Jock in this role, Garfrey Cambridge is just, is just, he's, like, we, we gotta do Watermelon Man, like, we need to go oh. ahead. Absolutely. Because Godfrey Cambridge is one of these great actors at this moment who is just sort of bemused by the whole thing. And it, he wears it on his face. Yeah. In everything that he does. Because even because he was in Pearly Victorious. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and his bemusement, as much as he is like, you know, the old you know slave in that movie and everything, like his bemusement with everything, it just radiates over on his face there. But that was a few years um, before this. Yes. And and he was still very much a stage actor then and probably right. victorious. Now, by 1970, you can see he's he's um pulled back on some of some of the histrionics because his eyes are so expressive. Yes. He's pulled back on it so much so that he knows that he can do so much by doing so little. Yes. In the screen. That whole car chase scene, if you didn't see the car driving through the streets, you would never know that Godfrey Cambridge was driving the car by the scenes that they show of him driving the car. Because it literally could have been one of those uh, uh, scenes from like a television show or something like that. Where you see the cars like, zoom, 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 zoom. Cut to him driving the car. He's so lived in yeah. the way he plays this role. And it's great for this role because I think one of... One of the conceits of these roles, and, and you know, just to reference our conversation in Cleopatra Jones, mm-hmm. where we were kind of talking about the role of the black policemen or mm-hmm. the black authority figures at this moment. Part of part of the the grave digger um, 
the Coffinette and Gravedigger Jones thing is that, yes, they are the policemen, right. but they are policemen for the community. And there are all these, there are these, these moments in the film where they basically, they, they kind of lean on the credibility that they built. Right. Like, we're hard men, but you know we're hard men for you. And I think so much of Godfrey Cambridge's performance is this is a man who is very comfortable yeah. in this world. So, um, so yeah, Cotton comes to Harlem. Cotton I do. Harlem. I do think that as intriguing as a pair as they are as actors, and in what they are bringing to this to this role, I do think that one of the other things that hurts this film is I don't get a true sense of chemistry between Godfrey Cambridge and Raymond St. Jock. Hmm. Um, they're, they're both playing their roles fine. They're playing their roles fine. And there definitely is an intensity to Raymond St. Jock. You know, um, he, he dials it back a little bit to kind of be playful with with uh, Godfrey in some of the scenes, but for the most part, he's just he's just walking pissed. Yes, you know? I mean there's yes. a reason why he's coughing Ed, right? You know, um, and this is and and but it, but in that as much as this character being a cop, um, playing a little loose and fast by the rules, but still being a cop, as much as this character should be the other side of the coin. Of the character that he played in Uptight, where he's kind of like the leader of the militant faction, right, right, in that right, movie. right. It it very much is still the same character, and 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 because of because of that, I think that I think that hurts the film in that. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it is the, the two actors. It's, it, I just don't feel that chemistry. A lot of this movie reminds me of one of my favorite movies. Um, that's a, a very underappreciated movie. Is Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. Oh, okay. And, yeah. they, play, and they play two cops. Yes. And it basically is in what early nineties cop. Buddy drama, you know, maybe late eighties. I was about to say eighties. Yeah, 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 maybe late eighties, mid eighties, even. But but it very much is that. However, uh, and as much as it it, is comedic, it's not comedic because it's trying so hard to be funny. It's comedic because these guys are living their life, doing their things, and they're funny doing it. And they're funny dudes. And and you get into their their, their chemistry, it's just rolling off the screen. You you would, if someone told me that Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines grew up as best friends, I would believe it. Right. Because of how they got along in this movie, in that movie. Um, And I think that is what Godfrey came, I mean, excuse me, Ozzy Davis is looking for in this movie, knowing that he has Godfrey Cambridge, who can do, who can do drama. Right, right. But is also definitely a, a made for comedy with his deadpan. Oh, yeah, deadpan absolutely. Stares absolutely. And everything like that. And him juxtaposed against the, the straight back intensity, you know, uh, 
you know, a, a stark afro of Raymond St. Jock. Yes. You know, uh, I think that that's the vibe that he's going that he's going for that. It just it doesn't blend. It doesn't it doesn't mesh well. And it's hurt so much more by, as we alluded to in the beginning, by the by the character of Deke O'Malley, who is very much the star of the book. Right. He changes Ozzy Davis changes that for the movie to to highlight the the uh, the, the cops, yeah, the detective. Mm-hmm. Maybe rightfully so, because in his mind he's thinking sequels. You know, we've got a bunch right. of books. Got, got, got a whole book series. Do, do Let's do rock whole, it exactly, exactly. So, so he's he's probably right in doing that. However, he's he, he's damned for his um, for the praise that he will get for casting Calvin Lockhart as Deke O'Malley. Yeah, because Godfrey Cambridge can hold his own against anybody because right. of because of just who he is right. and because of what his character is, is is supposed to represent in this movie, but. As intense as Raymond St. Jock is, as, as, and as much badass as he's, he's supposed to be bringing to that role of Coffin Ed, you know, he may not, may as well not even be on the screen when he is sharing time with Calvin Lockhart. Yeah. And because those, and because the story reads that, you know, he's got this. For reasons that's really unexplained, right. seemingly personal vendetta right. against Deke. Right. Well, he kind of does that thing at the end. Says, you know, you steal from white folks. That's one thing. But right. you steal from black people. You have to deal with me. Yeah, but but it's, but it's still. I mean, you know, you're protecting Harlem. Right. So chances are you've been arresting a whole lot of people that's been stealing from black people. Well, yeah. So like, so why this guy? Right. Like, why is this guy? I think it's because this guy is not only stealing from you know the black people. He done stole your movie from you. (laughs) Because Calvin Lockhart in his first his this is his screen debut, man. And from the moment he gets out of that limousine. Yeah, wearing some type of pleathery, shiny cape. Yes. And then walks up onto that stage and then is given the hero's shot from underneath, looking up at him as he opens the cape. Opens the cape. Yes. And says, I am here. I am here. That movie is this man. Am I black enough for you? Am I black enough for you? That's his thing. He says, am I black enough for you? Yes. Also, and I've been trying to work this into my vocabulary all day. Remember, it's one scene where he leaves the room and he says to, to, to um, I don't know if it's a Judy Pace or somebody, because it sounds like something you say to a, to a lady. He says, uh, yo, keep it black till I get back. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm going to be saying that for the rest of my life. Y'all keep it black till I get back. Yes. So, so yeah. I mean, he just... He owns this movie, man. When he is, when he has to put on the whole kind of like you said, Marcus Garvey, you know, uh, Creflo Dollar kind of preacher thing in the in the beginning, owns the stage. Well, you see why people gave him their money because yeah, because 
was yeah, it's great casting. Yeah, it's great casting. And and then when he is juxtaposed against um, Judy Pace, um, who makes in her screen debut, and she's bringing mm. ferocity into the to the role uh, to the screen as well. They they have a fire back and forth. He then also he has to play weak sometimes in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's 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 got this weirdly conservative kind of undertone and subtext to it where where like you said, it is this it it kind of almost goes against what you think the character would be. Like he's almost sniveling by the end. Yeah. And it does feel a little inauthentic based on what you've seen in the past hour and 30 minutes. True. It does. You know, it does, and, and, he, and he's trying to pull it over. I mean, yeah. at, at that point, you see the you see the you know screen you know the the rookiness right. of him a little bit showing. But even then, you know, you, you're all in on the character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all in on it. Um, it 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 is just a, like an astounding debut from a a grossly under. Uh, appreciated actor and as you kind of said his opposite like talk about distracting man Judy Pace <laughs> like I felt like you know talking about I, I just said that um, you see why people would give Calvin Lockhart's character the money right from the very beginning you can tell she's trying to seduce the policeman yeah so that she could because at one point they kind of put her under arrest and they put this uh, uh, patrolman in charge yeah. of her and she seduces her way away from him. Mm-hmm. And you can tell from the, I mean, he says it. How are you going to resist Judy Pace in 1970? Doing Judy Pace stuff. Mm, wearing a mesh shirt. And then not wearing a mesh shirt. And not wearing her gold lame skirt either. Judy Pace, man. And that character, Iris. Like, like you, you know, there's, it's look, it's the early seventies, and I actually yeah. did like, like you know, the, there's there's some icky violence towards women. In it this ain't thing. icky. It's like there's a like first of all, first of all, you know, like Raymond St. Jock, the cop, which I was about to say, I, I actually kind of like that. That the cop was actually one of the ones who was violent yeah. towards her. Yeah, he he was he was the first one. Right. Yeah. He was the first one gave her the backhand. Yeah. But then Calvin Lockhart, he 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 dropped he dropped yeah. some Sugar Ray Leonard yeah jab on her quick. So you have this violence towards women, and but I like the fact that the character Iris was in a lot of ways out for self too. Like oh, I love like I love the fact that she was trying to frame him mm-hmm. for the attempted murder mm-hmm. of um Mabel Mabel. But then you know. Then they kind of like you have this kind of wonderful pr- progressive female character that is kind of in charge of her own destiny and and like well if we going for self I'm gonna go for self and then they completely pull the rug out underneath it because all you have to do to get a woman to act right is propose to her exactly so. well and we should say you're saying like she, she's this wonderful progressive character she's a wonderful progressive character for this type for of this film. for this type of film. Right, because let, let, let's you know, like we say, th- there's another reason why you know these films are considered like the Raymond Chandlers, right? right. Of you know, so she's a film for tall, and exactly. she's you know, but and that's befitting those styles of film noir, you know, crime drama. Yeah, 
So, uh, so, so she's right in step with that. It, um, and like you say about the plot, you know, um, the plot, it goes all over the place and it, it, it could hurt your head trying to figure it out, but you don't mind because like you say, you're in Harlem. You, and, and if this is Harlem. You are welcome into the world. And I like the way that they, they, they bring you into Harlem. You're following Coffin and Digger walking through the streets, you know, going to check out, you know, different, different spots and everything like that. And as they're, and as they're walking, you know, you're just hearing them talking, having their conversation, talking, talking the case through as they walk into, walk into, I think, a, 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 um, a, a bar, I think. Yes. And then they, and then, and they just <laughs> casually walk into the ladies room. Yes. And then it cuts to, you know, pull the light switch twice. The back door opens. They're still just talking. And right. we're talking and we're walking. We're walking down the secret passage. Yes. All the way up into the back. Until where the, uh, you know, the black militants are, right. are meeting. They're learning Swahili. Right. It used to be a shooting gallery. Yes. Where people would meet, you know, shooting gallery for those of y'all who aren't hit to the 1970s. Cool job is where people would go and shoot heroin. Yes. But now it's turned into, as you said, a place where where people who are into their culture can learn Swahili. Yeah. Which was so neat. Like, that was such a neat little detail. Yeah. That, you know, sort of the black power movement was actually doing good stuff. And that's the good thing, because a lot of times you see them, you see them in this movie, they have what is considered that black power movement, like, stamp. They're standing all stark, you know, glasses. Right. At the ready, you know, berets and everything like that. But when you see them in action... It always is to the benefit of the situation. Right, right. Like when they help break up a little like rally or like a protest. Yeah. The, and, and to your point, just one little, another little detail from that scene, talking about Godfrey Cambridge being much more comfortable in this role, mm-hmm. and and sort of um, Gravedigger being much more comfortable than Coffin Ed. One of the one of the Soul Brothers starts to curse at him in Swahili. And Gravedigger curses right back at him in Swahili. Yeah. And he's like, how do you know Swahili? And then, of course, you know, go ask your mama. Which is what one retorted. Exactly. In 1970. And in, in, in 2016 as well. <laughs> yes, go ask and your mama. Still but this by. is somebody who, you know, he is a, an, an agent of, of authority. He is a policeman. Mm. But he is also, quote unquote, down. Yeah. And it's not this kind of, it's, it's not this very kind of awkward over the top. You know, like we talked about in Cleopatra Jones, where you know it's the soul grips and this, that, and the other. It's just very matter of factly. Yes, I also know Swahili. Yeah, I. There was a lot of times in when Coffin Ed was speaking that I I heard Ossie Davis. Yes, like, absolutely. Like I was hearing Ossie Davis' voice so much so that I. I think I would have preferred Ossie Davis in this role. I, I, I appreciate that he didn't. I, I appreciate that you know he didn't try and you know take on too much and right, 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 star right. in it. But interesting, I think that he would have been able to pull off the the drama as well as a little bit of the more um, comedic aspects of it in in conjunction with Godfrey Cambridge. And huh. thus, I think it would have pulled off a little bit better, especially considering their uh, their relationship 
right, having right, done right. Pearly having on done Broadway. Pearl. And that's then, that's and a the really movies. neat thought. That probably would have been really neat if yeah. Ozzie Davis would. And I love Raymond St. John. Mm-hmm. And I like him in this role. Like I said, I just like... You know what? I'm not even going to say I like him in this role. I just really like Raymond St. Jock. Yeah. And this is what I kind of know him best as. So I just like seeing Raymond St. Jock doing his thing. Right. But yeah. Intri- yeah. That's actually not... What we need to do is perfect the theoretical physics. <laughs> And then get some type of degree in mechanical engineering, perhaps a background in um, construction, some some type where we can actually build it, build a time machine, work on the energy source. I'm not sure how that would work. We'll figure that out. Go back in time and tell Ozzie Davis that he should cast himself. Yeah. Did you write that down? I feel like that should be in the show notes. Well, it's recorded. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so and, and, and I, I, I felt that because I was hearing Asi in my mm-hmm. voice and a lot of and a lot of things that he was saying. Um, it was and and the I made allowances for the plot because one of my favorite movies, another one of my favorite movies, I should say, is the Maltese Falcon. Right, and I defy anyone. To, to tell you the actual plot. <laughs> yeah. The Maltese Falcon. Well, again, you've got double crosses, you've got triple crosses, and, you know, kind of like I mentioned at the beginning, this notion that Deco Malley has this kind of um, plot lasagna almost. Yeah. Where, you know, he's double crossing so that, you know, you can, you can tell that the ultimate plan is to end up by himself. Right. And, you know, you kind of see him working everybody, including his girlfriend or, or his fiance, um, Iris, played by Judy Pace. We haven't even talked about the literalness of the title. Because yeah. if anyone in anyone just looking at a movie, you know, even if you looking at the movie poster, even back then, and saw the title said, Cotton Comes to Harlem... Your mind is thinking like, oh, this is drugs coming to Harlem. Right, right, right. You right, know, right this is a pseudonym for something. You know, right, is, right. And no, it's a bale of cotton. It's a bale of cotton. Well, you know, the funny thing is, again, back to, to sort of the source material, there was a whole other subplot in the novel that was cut. True. About going back to the South. Yeah. So as opposed to going back to Africa. But, you know, there's this whole sort of theme of people being unhappy yeah. in Harlem mm-hmm. at this moment. And it's very much something, you know, you, you sort of see in black art. So, you know, we're going to go back to Africa, which, again, you know, Marcus Garvey's talking about this in the 20s, and or, or we're going to move down south. And, you know, it's funny. That's actually one of my uh, pet peeves. Really? The, the plots that you see. And, you know, we've, we talked about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this notion of we have we need to move. From, you know, it's like one of my Tyler Perry pet peeve plots. Although he's not the one who came up with this. Not at all. Th- this sort of, you know, black people in the city and things are, aren't good. What we need to do is move to a rural area where things are simpler and this and the other. And I hate that because, you know, I'm, I, I love the city. But, um... I think this sort of bale of cotton, as you said, is this sort of symbol of the South and and, and of our experience in the South and how it plays out in this film. Like there's this great moment where where Gravedigger pulls out some cotton and he kind of looks at it 
like it's 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 evidence and he says ah yes this is pure unprocessed cotton something 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 and coffin ed is like negro and he doesn't say negro what are you talking about you don't You've never seen cotton before. You were born in New York just like me. Yeah. So, you know, it is this kind of ongoing conversation about sort of origins of black people and Mm. what it means. And, you know, and even at the end where, you know, spoiler for a 50-year-old movie, uh, Red Fox's character ends up with the money. Yes. And what does he do? He actually goes to Africa. Goes back to Africa. And starts to grow cotton in Africa. So, you know, you have this kind of resolution where you know identity is tied up in all of these places uh, identity is tied up in all the uh it everywhere including um in the quote-unquote burlesque show that, yeah. that went on at the apollo yeah. at the time uh, when burlesque was you know certainly not at its height but was still a mainstay of the live live stage performances and you see someone um you know practicing her her next show and wanting to do something that was more authentic that more spoke to her identity as a black woman um uh, as opposed to you know just doing the feather dance and the fan dance and stuff like that uh cut to the end of the film when she is doing a a burlesque slave girl dance show with the aforementioned bale of cotton um that was interesting <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way it was uh it was it was daring it was um because go ahead describe it because i think it is worth it is because she's out there she is basically in full slave gear the dancing on and around the bale of cotton and pulling at the scarves and the rags that she has on until she basically just has three strategically placed yes. cotton balls. And she has sort of reclaimed herself and said, yes. cotton doesn't define us anymore. And is this, You know what it reminded me of? You ever see that episode of Different World where Kim Reese, they, they were dressed up, the, the, the episode of Different World where... where they were talking about the uh, the mammy figures. Oh yeah! And Kim Reese talked about going and dressing up like an African queen. Yes. For Halloween when she was a little kid, and because Kim Reese is a dark skinned mm-hmm. woman, and and you know the implication was maybe she was a little overweight. She went to school dressed as an African queen, and the, the kids thought she was dressed as mammy, yeah. or aunt, they thought she was dressed as Aunt Jemima. Right. And then at the end, they actually kind of do the same thing where they have this dance and and this kind of um interpretive presentation where she reclaims that and they kind of take all of the mammy clothing and rewrap it uh, i wonder if that's where they're pulling that from here I'm maybe they pulled it from here yeah i don't know it seems weird that two things would do but or maybe it's not weird it, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't put it past like maybe them. they pulled it from cotton comes along yeah yeah bill cosby at the time yeah. certainly would have been a friend of ossie davis right 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 certainly the, the overlap of, yeah. of those but that's what I thought. I said, that's just like, like when they thought Kim Reese was dressed as Aunt Jemima. Ah. See, if you don't know me, sometimes it just sounds like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> that's just like Kim Reese dressed like Aunt Jemima. And somebody's like, oh, Lord, somebody go give him a hard candy. <laughs> I know you don't give a hard candy to somebody having a stroke. It's just 
funny. Like, people are listening. That's not what you do with somebody having a stream. That's how you sound to me when you said it, though. This is what you sound like. <laughs> but sometimes I'll just spit out things, like, because it reminds me of something else. Oh, God, I love doing the show with you, Vince. Um, <laughs> just like when Kim Reese, it's like she was just like Aunt your Mama. <laughs> we haven't talked about Red Fox. I haven't talked about Red. Red Fox plays a junk dealer. Yeah, he does play a junk he dealer. He plays a junk dealer. Relatively small role in the movie. Of, of maybe three scenes. Yeah, maybe three, four maybe. scenes. Um, but, you know, crucial. Crucial. In a way. Crucial. Definitely uh, a plot mover. Yeah. Um, definitely, uh, you know, surprisingly, this is his screen debut he, as well. He had been a successful record comedian and, 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 and working in the clubs and, he and was, basically just working a comedy story. yeah but he had never been on television and never and, made and you know time. as we said the producers and creators of Sanford and Son were casting and one of them saw this film mm-hmm. and saw him and said he would be great in the role of junk man Fred Sanford and the rest as they say is history but this is where it comes from this is where it comes from yeah um and it He's definitely Fred Sanford. I yeah, mean, or maybe a less slightly yeah. more laid back, but slightly. very charming. Like, like you see, you see why somebody said we can build a television show around this guy. Yes, yes, yeah, very much so. Um, the character is a little, you know, not quite as irascible um, as Fred. A little bit more humbler, um, but the charm just yeah, oh yeah, often. I always draw a blank on. This actor's name, um, the person that played plays Calvin Lockhart's kind of like right hand man, um, uh, and it's also kind of like in a lot of scenes. He's 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 this right hand man in the beginning of the of the movie. Oh uh, right. He then is there at the Apollo because the, the fan right. dancer is his girlfriend, and she's the one that gets her the um the, the bale. bale of cotton. Right, because he gets it from. Um, Fred G. Sam, Fred, Fred Sanford, Red Fox's character, um, that, from his home on the, on the barge. Right, that would be Theodore Wilson. Yes, but I've never ever called him anything but Sweet Daddy. We've actually talked about him before on this show. He's he's been, and I never call him by his name. I just call him Sweet Daddy. And Sweet Daddy is from his because he played Sweet Daddy on Good Times. On Good Times, yeah. Um, he, I, I, we probably have mentioned it before, and we, we will probably mention it be, again because in the seventies, in the seventies, um, just like just like now, there are these. These actors, these faces that show up in movies, show yeah. up on oh, television, yeah, absolutely. who you're like, oh, I know that guy, and and you may not know their name, but you know when you see them, it's a signal that you know. Well, I don't know what, what the rest of this is going to be, but he or she is yeah. going to be good. And he's know? another one. He's only in you know a, a few scenes. Yes, but he kind of handles it. He handles it. He is. Su- he's such an incredible actor. Um, an incredible and um, a credible um, uh, 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 likability. Yes, comes. That's off a good word. Yeah, he, there's a lot of likability to him, yeah. and and he's he's a '70s mainstay. He very much he is. Really, he was. He very, he very much is. Um, also, on that's my mom as Earl the Postman. That's right. That's right. And that, which was more of a regular role. Mm-hmm. Sweet Daddy was definitely yeah. a. a, 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 a 
cameo that would come back and forth. That's my mama, of course, starring. We we just talked about him last week. Um, that's my mom. Oh, uh, Clifton Davis. Clifton Davis, who we also mentioned, had a short-lived television variety show, Clifton and Melba, with Melba Moore. Melba Moore sang the theme song. Boom. See how I brought all that together? Sang the theme song to from Cotton Comes to Harlem. From Cotton Comes to Harlem. That's singing. Ain't now, but it's going to be. Ain't now, but it's going to be. See how I brought it all together. I brought it back home. And now here's why Ossie Davis didn't need to act in this movie. He wrote that song, too. <laughs> I mean, like, bruh. You're talking a little slick right now about Ozzie Davis. You no, need, I'm just saying. You need to ease up a little bit. I'm just saying. He was, he was definitely, you know, right. you can see where Prince got his inspiration from. Right. <laughs> Ozzie was like, no, I got that. And we just got to the point we didn't built up enough of a library that the last dragon people have calmed down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's cool. Yo, I got nothing. Nothing. Okay. But love for Ozzy Davis. I don't. I don't kneel down at the the altar of Melville Moore. I mean, the song is good. <laughs> but I, didn't, I didn't think it was all that great. See, but here's the thing. He 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 taps her because at the time she's on Broadway, right? In Pearly, which which is which, the musical, which is the music version of Pearly, Pearly Victoria. See, we brought it all back together. Exactly. This is like a companion episode to the Pearly Victoria. So put this episode. together. So See, it's all there. You go. There's a lot of overlap. Exactly. Cross pollination, if you will. So, so, um, and in Pearly, you know, she's, you know, that's her star making role. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and in singing the songs of Pearly. Yes. Um, ain't now, but it's going to be, is going to be I. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's black enough for me, but just barely. Yes. <laughs> it ain't no Calvin Lockhart. It ain't, it ain't, no Calvin, it ain't Calvin Lockhart. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's 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 Cleveland Little. It's Cleveland Little. But it ain't Cabin Lock. Right, right, right. Uh this movie that was produced on a budget of one two one point two million dollars earned five point two million dollars. I saw that and I saw somebody said it may be the most profitable black exploitation film. Most profitable? I could imagine that. I can imagine that. I just find that difficult to believe. Really? I mean, I just want to see. I'm, well, maybe, maybe it's 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 profitable based on its release at that time. Yeah. There's no way this film is still making like 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 still making money. Right. Now. Like I would love to get the Shaft check every quarter. I don't. Well, or the Superfly check every quarter, but it, it probably costs way more to make those. I, I would imagine they those cost more because those were more. Uh, especially Shaft. Yeah, Shaft yeah, was, Shaft like was a, actually a major motion. Yeah, oh yeah. Release. So, so the profitability, I can see that. Okay. And 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 as let's let's face it, you know, none of these are stars. No, I mean we're talking about a film that introduced four people. Yeah. So you know, yeah. you didn't pay them. Yeah. So. And and the shame of it is is that as magnetic as right. we spoke of Calvin Lockhart, he never for whatever reason, and we'll get into it maybe in a, on another show. Right, right. Never really got his just due. Right, uh, right. Or maybe, I don't know. Sooner than later, we'll actually have to do Melinda. Yeah, like like you know, I was running joke that in Abby, but now we're going to do Abby. So well, let's do Melinda. <laughs> We 
Which is not the black version of Carrie. <laughs> no, it's not. It is not. Um, anything else you want to share about? Nothing. Like I said, I, I really enjoy this film. Um, the sequel comeback, Charleston Blue, tonally is different. And from what I understand, it it diverges from the book. It diverges from the book. Arguably not as good. I can imagine that. Great soundtrack. Donny Hathaway. Wow. Donny Hathaway's soundtrack. But, again, I I think these two films together, like like you talk about films that give you a snapshot Mm -hmm. of a specific place, in this case, Harlem, in the 70s. I think they're good. They're, they're, they're good films. I I don't know about the chemistry between Raymond St. Jock and um, Godfrey, Cambridge. Godfrey Cambridge in Comeback Charleston Blue, but that's... Now I kind of want to watch it just for that. To see. Just to see how they get along. But, you know, again, I like this film a lot. I like this film a lot. You know, or I have great affection for this film. And I can I can appreciate that affection for the film. Yeah, I have great I, affection I, for I this can film. definitely appreciate it. Um, and the details in this yeah. film. Like I love the details in this mm-hmm. film. It's so, not a it's not a bad film. It's not a bad it's film. It's not a bad film. It's it, it, it's not a bad it's film. Cool to, it's cool to watch. Uh, what I one very small thing, but it made a, a point to me for whatever reason. Everybody looked like they were wearing clothes. They didn't look like they were wearing, you know, a costume mm-hmm. or uh, like uh, overly made up. Right, right. For for the scene, you know, right. Because even when they do show up at Iris's home and she has on the mesh shirt and the and and her little long gold gold skirt, you know. Um, that easily could have been like really built up. She could have had like a whole ton of jewelry on her. Sure, and stuff like sure. That. I mean, she had a she had a she had a little bit of makeup on. Right, I mean, her, right, her, right. her her eyes were painted. Yes. you know, and they stay painted all throughout the shower. I mean, you know, but beauty uh, pace, man. I, I feel you, bro. Nineteen seventy. I, I feel you. Um, it's not a game. But what I liked is that that and the set dressing of of this movie all felt very authentic. Yes, and real, right, right, you know? and, and lived like you said, lived in. Like yeah. these are these are these people's clothes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really did appreciate that. I couldn't help but though marvel at um, one of the the things that you just see back, especially in the late sixties and seventies movies about these guns that never run out. Never run out. Not only do they not run out of bullets, at one point, Coffin Edge shoots at a um at like an altar, and the altar catches on fire. Yes. And I said, Coffin Ed is using bullets made out of hellfire. Apparently. Yes. Yes. He he shoots it. And it's like a dais, and the whole thing catches on fire. Yes. It's like it's like it's like when the the they're captain takes them off the case and they're like thank you yeah. he's like finally now we can use the devil's bullets <laughs> right exactly like, I think he's trying to destroy someone's soul yeah you know like, why, you, you why know. is your gun setting things on fire <laughs> what kind of 
gun is this? All of a sudden, you just see him like digging up a coffin, right? Like this red gun, right? Apparently, coffin that is actually a demon. He's blazed. That's why he's so angry. Bro, you know who right. it is? It's Blade. This is Blade the early years. No, he's dude from Venture Brothers. Right. <laughs> he hunts Blackulas. <laughs> now, that other guy hunts Black Blackulas. I hunt Blackulas. Yes. All right. Oh, okay, that's All the right. sign. But yes, I would recommend this. I would, I recommend would certainly it. recommend this. I would definitely you know, again, this. and 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 again... This is one of my case studies that I use to defend my great love mm. of this period. Because I don't think that this film could have been made in any other decade. No. So, there you go. That being said, I couldn't help but watch it and wish that like uh, HBO had a, uh, a series that they ran last year or actually earlier this year they didn't make it it got canceled called vinyl yes um, which was like the story of like you know i guess like the punk rock and disco back in the 70s whatever right, like right. That. And, and it failed it was an interesting show yeah i never actually even watched it but it started my man bobby calavelli who i love but um it it, it it but but it failed I couldn't help but watching this wish that the people involved with that, not all of them, because Mick Jagger was involved with that because it was music, right, right. but it was Martin Scorsese and Terrence Winter. Okay, uh, yeah. Them both, uh, Boardwalk Empire and The, Sopran- yeah. and the Sopranos. Um, I would love if they took the very authentic 70s aesthetic that they created in that show. Mm-hmm. And then did a Grave Digger and Coffin Ed series yeah. on HBO. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would eat that up. I would eat it up. Like a, a black crime noir series would be so dope. I, I think would, yeah. And you know, two years ago I would say that's never going to happen. But you know, again, we're going through this renaissance. Amen. You never, never say never. Because you said never twice. Most Steph's not my top ten, but I like most Steph a lot. So, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen. So, Cotton Comes to Harlem. There you go. Go check it. It is available on Amazon. Yeah, sure uh, is. Um, for a small rent off, like like two bucks, two yeah, three dollars, two, two three dollars. Yeah, you, you don't have to watch in HD. Right? No, no, <laughs> no. Don't don't do the HD. Like she said that out loud to us. I don't need to watch this in HD. So, and again, it sounded like I was having a stroke. If you. Know. <laughs> Like if you don't actually know me. <laughs> Just had these outbursts. If you don't know him by now, <laughs> you will never, ever, 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 ever know him. All right, this show will be available, or it is available, where you found it, on MichelleMission.com, <laughs> as well as on iTunes, where we invite you all to um, to leave us a ranking and a comment. Uh, as well as on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and every place a good podcast be, and will, and can be heard here in Philadelphia on 106.5 FM, WPPM, LP, here in Philadelphia. All right. Um, and we will, as soon as we nail down that time, 
we will let you know. Right now, they have episodes that are playing on there, so you may catch it randomly right. just in the in rotation. It's really dope. I heard somebody um, heard our review of Straight Out of Compton and um, told somebody at WPPM it's just that you know, like, yeah, I ain't like it either. There you go. There you go, Lynn. There You're you building go. your own army. One person at a time. <laughs> One fan at a time. All right. Uh, next month, uh, next week, it is the beginning of October. That's the beginning of our month-long horror. Here it is. That is going to be curated with none other um, than co-curated by the men of the Michelle Mission with... Ashley of Graveyard Shift Sisters. All right. As well as we're going to do a very special show with the Cinemosity podcast. All right. As well as we'll we'll knock out October. We will go out in style Friday, October 28th at a Malcolm's Comics and Coffee House right here in Philadelphia, 2578 Frankfurt Avenue with the first Michelle Mission live podcast as we will record a podcast and then enjoy a screening of abby the black exorcist yes we'll do that in partnership we're inviting the podcast don't touch my coffin down to review it with us it's absolutely free absolutely free so please make your way to malcolm's comics and coffee house friday october 28th at um it's going to start at 8 p.m but get down there early so you can get you get a good seat right, get some right, coffee right, some right, treats absolutely. recent comics right and um taking the festivities want to have some some very special abbey flavored drinks um the movie ain't good but the drinks will be great I promise <laughs> you okay so what are we doing next week like, do we know what our first film is? Um, I'm not sure exactly which the first film is. I know that it it's either going to... I know which ones it could be. Okay, and what are those? It's, kind of like, get people ready. It's either going to be Ganja and Ness. Ness, Ganja, Ness, or... Death by Temptation. Death by Temptation. So it'll be one or the other. Yeah. We'll make it happen. So stay tuned to your Twitter handles, where you can find us at... Mich- Mission Michelle on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook at Michelle Mission. Um, and just holler at us, email us at Mission Michelle at Michelle Mission at gmail.com. It gets confusing, all these M's. All right, this is Len. He's Vince. In parting, we say. I was going to say, keep it black till I get back, but I'll just say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. You should just say, keep it black, too. <laughs> It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>